Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're listening to Justice, a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. This week, I speak to two advocates driving change in the national conversation around menopause. My first guest is TV presenter and household name, Davina McCall. As well as presenting documentaries that explore the menopause, Davina is also the author of Menopausing, The Positive Roadmap to Your Second Spring. I then speak to Carolyn Harris, MP for Swansea East, who established and now chairs the all-party parliamentary group on menopause and has worked tirelessly to put menopause on the national agenda. Both women reflect on their own experiences and we discuss what needs to change to ensure more have access to the support they need. Yes, that's right, women in the justice system also experience the menopause, not just the women serving time, but the staff as well. My name is Davina McCall. I am probably best known as a TV presenter, but my kids know me best as being a mother. I am an unwitting kind of advocate for menopause. I don't know how that's quite happened, but over the last few years, it's rapidly become a passion of mine to try and educate, inform and support women through uh, a stage of their life that really weirdly we don't know enough about. And here I am. Was it a case of getting towards the age that we all do when you're creeping towards 40 or 45 and then suddenly, certainly I've been thinking about it more probably because I've been talking to people like you and Carolyn (laughs) Harris, or were you suffering from symptoms that you couldn't sort of work out? The interesting thing is when I look back, I can see that um, a bit of anxiety and low mood were probably the first thing that set in, but it set in so slowly and so quietly, it tiptoed into my life. And when I did get my first, what I would call noticeable physical symptoms. So there are mental symptoms that can happen before the physical ones happen. But I had no idea that low mood and anxiety were a symptom of menopause. I just thought it might be my age. It might be that the kids were, you know, I've got three kids and work like we're working hard. We're trying to be parents. We're trying to juggle everything. Um, And relationships, it's all, it's, you know, you could explain away easily anxiety and low mood. But then I started getting night sweats. And I thought the first time I got night sweats, I got them two or three nights in a row. And I thought it was really odd because I was up all night with them. It was so horrific, the night sweats, that I was having to put a towel down. The duvet on top of me was soaking. I'd wake up with wet hair and a huge pool of water in the nape of my neck. And I was getting up two or three times a night to try and kind of dab myself down to change nighty. And I wake up in the morning, not only had I not had very much sleep, but I'd look at my face and I think, obviously, you know, I'm super dehydrated because I've lost so much water in the night, but I just was thinking I've just aged overnight. Like what is going on? 
But I thought I must have some horrible illness. But I didn't feel ill at all in the day. So I think, what is this? And you wouldn't get the sweats in the daytime? I did have one hot flush once, weirdly. Just one. And it was in a makeup chair. And again, because it only happened once, I did not associate it with menopause. I just thought I'd had this weird hot feeling. But now, obviously I know, but I asked the makeup artist if the chair was heated. This this feeling of heat came up my back, all the way up through my chest, all the way up my neck. And I thought, oh my God, I'm on fire. And I had to get up off the chair. And I said, is that chair heated? She looked at me like, she's gone crazy. absolute weirdo. <laughs> it is not heated. So then I was a bit embarrassed. And then came the brain fog. So the brain fog is just these kind of pockets of absolute blankness. And, you know, I mean, people joke like my keys were in the fridge and my phone was in the bin, but mine literally were. And I would forget children's names. I mean, sometimes that happens, you know, you mix up your kids' names or you call Holly Tilly or Tilly Holly, whatever. Like, that's normal, but this was not normal. And I was forgetting really basic things. In my book, I talk about looking at an expanse of green grass and thinking to myself, what is that called? Like, and I was looking for the word lawn, but I just couldn't think of it. So that obviously started impacting my work. And can I ask how old you were when the symptoms started? Sure, I was 44 and um, I was told by my GP that I was probably too young. So um, to sort of go away, it's nothing to worry about. These are all, you're just tired and you've got a lot on your plate and... um, Blah, blah, blah. So in the end, I went privately, which I, I'm annoyed about, you know, that in order to get help, I had to I had to go and kind of pay for it. And what annoys me even more is that there are so many people that could never do that. And what do they do? Because I was desperate at that point. So I did manage to go privately. And this amazing gynecologist just took one look at me and he said, well, you're perimenopausal. And um, I would advise that you go on HRT. And I said, but aren't I going to get breast cancer? And he said, it's not like that anymore. It's very different. There are many benefits to taking it. Let's look at your lifestyle and let's look at the sort of risks involved. And really the risk, the major risk is a minute increase in risk of breast cancer. But now, even last night, I spoke to um, Dr. Naomi, who I wrote the book with, and she said it's absolutely negligible, this risk. Carolyn Harris talks about the fact that, yes, there might be that risk there. However, the risk of not taking HRT, osteoporosis, collapsing mental health, or even self-harm and suicide for the mm. people who can't get hold of the medication that they need. I mean, self-harm and suicide, like when people say, oh, you know, what's the big fuss about? That's what the big fuss is about. That it can get so desperate that women are in such a dark place that that is an option for them. And, you know, the statistics are that 25% of women will really struggle in that way. And that, you know, it's no surprise that the rate of suicide in women is highest between 45 and 55. So, yes, that is worth exploring. And Carolyn was really amazing, actually, because we we were having these talks about the menopause together and seeing what we could do and what kind of noise could we make and how could we work together. And I noticed she had a fan on over here and she was kind of going like this. I said, are you all right, Carolyn? And she went, yes, I'm just having a hot flush. I said, "Have you? are you on HRT? She's like, no, no, it's too late for me. I'm 60. I was like, Carolyn, it's not too late. You can definitely get help. Let me put you in touch with someone. And it was so sweet because afterwards 
she kept messaging me on every single social media platform. I mean, we had each other's numbers, but every now and again, she'd just quickly give me a little tweet or a direct message, you know, a little direct message Instagram, just going, oh my God, thank you so much. You know, it can carry on being very debilitating and things like hot flushes can carry on way into your 60s and 70s. And for some women, you know, maybe not for all, but for many women, you can carry on taking HRT for the rest of your life. Obviously you keep getting assessed, you get assessed once a year, you see how you're going. Maybe you can take less estrogen as you get older if you don't need it. Um, You know, maybe you stay on the same amount. It's up to you and your doctor to decide that. But it isn't something, you know, for many years, women were told you've got to be on it for five years and then you've got to come off it. It's not like that anymore. Yeah. So I often, obviously, uh, the name of my podcast is Justice. So whenever I'm talking about, be it a health issue or a social justice issue, I then think, what about these poor women in prison? And thinking how horrific the menopause, well, you know, I don't yet. But, you know, and not only for the women who are serving time in prison and don't have access to clean underwear, clean clothes and a washing machine when they need it or a shower but also the women who are working as prison officers in the prisons. That really must be challenging. So interestingly, I went on on our second documentary, which was called Sex, Mind and the Menopause. We went to Drake Hall, which is the women's prison um, up north. And we, um, in fact, we met with the governor there. Do you know him, Carl? Carl Hardwick, yes, I do. He is a legend. He is. Because he is pro-women. He is, he is pro, he really wanted to learn a lot about menopause and how he can support the women in the prison and also the people that work there, the women that work there. And I just found him so inspiring. Yeah, I I was really impressed by him. But we talked to the chaplain and a prison guard and we talked about the women and the suffering that they must go through. But what they were trying to do is collectively all try and help that support those women through that time. And what was nice about it was I met two of the people that worked there who'd gone through it. And I think once you've gone through it, you're so much more empathetic. You know, you really can think, wow, if I felt like this, you know, imagine what it's like when you're incarcerated, you're in a sort of confined space. I mean, the other scary thing about it is that the rage that you can get sometimes if you're not on HRT, And these mood swings can be frightening and they can catch you unaware. And if you are in an enclosed space with people maybe that you're struggling to get on with or you're frightened or there's something happening that's out of sorts, makes you out of sorts, if you have this flash of anger, you could do something that could end up making your sentence even longer and it's not even really your fault. I mean, these flashes of anger, I can't tell you. So many women have said they, it's, it's shame. It's very shameful. You feel so full of shame when you go through something like that because you think, I am not this person. I am not an angry person. And yet out of nowhere, here it comes. So I think when, when you are a prison guard or you are a chaplain and women will come to the church to talk about their feelings or how they're feeling she is so much better equipped then to say, I understand what you're going through. And this prison guard was interesting because she loves her job, right? And when you work in a prison, it is a very specific type of job. You need to have a real understanding of people, an empathy, a kindness, and yet a solid safeness to you. Because I think 
I think what, what you need is leadership in a prison. You need to feel like the people that are looking after you are okay. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean being um, too soft and it doesn't mean being too hard. You have to be a mixture of the two. You have to be firm but strong so you know that, that okay, I'm safe. Um, do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And most of the good sort of prison officers that I've met are exactly those people. And this woman, she was exactly that. She'd been in the prison service for 20 years. And, you know, it was so nice to hear her say, I love my job. You know, I do my job and I know I'm good at it. And I've been doing it for so long that I know what I'm doing. Like she was so confident in it and so self-assured. And I thought, gosh, how great for new women prison officers to come into this prison to work and to have someone like that to mentor them and to guide them and to tell them how to behave and to look. And then there she was thinking, I'm going to have to leave my job because I cannot function. Um, And the biggest fear for her, having been a marathon runner, she used to run marathons, but, you know, aching joints and extreme fatigue are another um, side effect of the menopause, symptom of the menopause. And she just had to stop running. She just was so fatigued. She couldn't get up in the morning. She just couldn't function. She was so tired. She stopped running and then she had a fitness test coming up and she was really scared that she was going to fail the beep test. And the beep test is when you have to run back and forth and before the beep sounds. And she thought, I'm going to fail it. And if she failed it, then her job would be in danger. And we got her on um, HRT and eventually her energy came back and then she started running again and she passed her fitness test. And you think it is a drain on society. It is a terrible, terrible, um, you know, talk about justice. It's an injustice if women have to leave the workplace because of this thing. Like we must find a way of helping manage women's menopauses so they can stay doing the jobs that they love because the drain on the economy, but more than that, the drain on experience and being able to mentor someone to carry on and take that job over when you leave, it's invaluable. Exactly. And until you and Carolyn and uh, and others and Dr. Louise Newsom started sort of making a bit of a racket about all of this, that's where my ears perked up. And I suddenly thought, oh, well, I'm heading in that direction. I'm not heading in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't learn, you don't learn about it at school. Maybe that's not appropriate. Um, but then where else do you learn mm-hmm. about it growing up? And it's not until you're sort of with your female friends and some who might be older who, and by which point you're, you know, some have already suffered in silence for years. I mean, the interesting thing now is Diane Danzebrink, who's an amazing campaigner for the menopause, and she's quite an unsung hero, really, but she's quietly been sort of campaigning and getting a petition going. And she has actually got the menopause on the curriculum. I mean, that's not to say um, a bit like sex education. I, I believe that probably school could do more sex education and that they could do more menopause, but they do learn the sort of nuts and bolts of it. And I think more layering of that needs to happen at home. It just needs to be part of the conversation. It needs to be something that's not brushed under the carpet. I mean, my granny used to, I was brought up by my granny. My granny used to just whisper like, though she used to call it the change. Oh, really? Well, do you remember when your period was um, referred to as the curse? The curse! I remember that. It's interesting that, you know, now it can be part of the conversation. It can can be part of a man's conversation. A man can talk about, we should all just talk about it out in the open. It's just something that happens to us. I was just discussing, um, you know, in the workplace, menopause in the workplace, that 
you know, opening a window because you're having a hot flush should not be embarrassing. And nobody needs to really ask you in the office. You should just be able to go and open a window and stand by it and for everybody to know you're having a hot flush and not even mention it. It should just be part of our DNA because you can carry on working while you're having a hot flush. It's a bit distracting, but you just need to cool down for a minute and then it stops and you shut the window. Like, big deal. But it was a big deal. And and in fact, menopause meant that we were all terrified for our jobs. We felt that it aged us. We felt that it made us invisible. We felt that it made us seem like we couldn't do our jobs, that we were somehow past our sell-by date. And, And that's what we want to change. And what I love about Carolyn Harris in particular is that here is a 60-year-old woman and, you know, people are terrified of her because she just is a, a kind of force of nature. She is such a pro-woman, like just there to fight our fight. And look, women in all parties are doing great jobs. Caroline Noakes is also doing a great job. Like lots of women are working together. But Carolyn Harris really has been at the forefront of trying to galvanise people online, social media. Um, She started the menopause mandate, which has been amazing. Lots of different political parties on there. It's apolitical. It's pro-women. It is um, lots of doctors, activists, anybody that wants to try and raise our cause. It's not not for profit to try and help support women through this period in their lives and normalise it. Can you um, remind me um, or tell our listeners the name of your documentary and the book that you've written? So I did two documentaries. So the first one was called Sex, Myths and the Menopause. I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd interviewed Dr. Louise Newsom for a podcast and that's when it all started. Because I interviewed Louise and literally every 30 seconds, I was just sitting there with my head in my hands going... What? You've just blown my mind. Like when she started telling me that HRT was good for me, you know, that it can reverse osteoporosis, that it can prevent osteoporosis, that it can lower your risk of heart disease by quite a profound amount, that it can help with your brain health. I was like, I, I, I didn't know. I just took it hoping that it wasn't going to kill me with breast cancer. That's, that's where I was at. And I talked to her about so many different symptoms and I thought, oh, I had that symptom too. Like I just, it was like she opened my eyes and I thought, how is it that I've got to this stage of my life? I've been in perimenopause for about five years at that point. How do I not know this stuff? Why is it not everywhere? Yeah, and you end up feeling quite angry, don't you? Yes, I was infuriated. And then I thought, like, I'm going to start talking about this. And so I did little bits here and there and I started trying to follow people and started trying to be part of a conversation. And then I got asked by this wonderful woman called Kate Muir, who's an amazing journalist. And um, she's a terrier. You know, she's one of those women that will just dig and dig and dig and dig. She's huge into research. She's she's always finding new bits of research from America because we're so pants over here at doing research at the moment on women's health. And um, she said, do you want to make a documentary? She said, we've, we've got virtually no money. I was like, I'll do it for free. Don't worry. I mean, she, she was like, I was I, anything for you. Number one, I think you're an amazing campaigner. And number two, we've got to talk about it. I was nervous. Like, before it came out, I thought, oh, like, is this going to affect my work? That's, that's what I thought might happen, that people were going to look and go, oh, this is a bit uncouth. Like, you know, oh, we don't want your dirty 
were you washing your dirty menopausal laundry in public? And so I thought, oh dear, this is a, this is a little bit of a worry. But anyway, what happened was the opposite. I mean, it was phenomenal. So the first one, sex myths and menopause, was about loads of things. Things like the leaflet in modern in packets of modern HRT, so the transdermal HRT, which carries very very low risks of anything. Um, so there's no risk of DVT or clots. And lots of women are told that they can't take it because there's a risk of clots. And they're told that because the information on the leaflet in the packet is wrong. It says that there's an increased risk of clots and there isn't. And this is the kind of stuff that makes me so angry because women often will get the packet and they'll go, oh, brilliant, I talked to the doctor. And then they open it and they say, oh, the doctor must have got it wrong because it's on the leaflet. I'm throwing it in the bin. Or, or women are being told the wrong information all the time. So... We talked a lot about that kind of stuff, all the misinformation that people don't know um, in the first one. It was kind of like the beginner's guide to the menopause. And then in the second one, we went, we dug a bit deeper. So we talked about um, surgical menopause. We talked about testosterone. We talked about menopause in the workplace and how can we improve that and help women survive in the workplace so we can keep them those kind of important women at that stage in their life in work um just when they can start enjoying it as well because your kids are a bit older you feel less guilty about leaving them at home you can really start throwing yourself into your work and then all of a sudden you can't do it anymore so we we um we did that and then the next one we'd like to do one more actually and maybe talk about men and um, how they can support us and what they go through. I was going to ask about that because like so many of these things we talk about that affect women, you can, you know, you can end up thinking, where are the men and how are they in the conversation or why aren't they in the conversation or what could we be doing more of as women? Some would say it's not for us to bring them in, they should come in. But, you know, anyway, they need to be part of this. It does affect them. It's, it can't be all them and it can't be all us. No. And it's like pregnancy, it's like miscarriage, you know, and often the men are this sort of silent people who sort of suffer and they're not as good as at coming forward and talking about it. And yeah, so I, I agree. So carry on. What are you going to do with the, with the men? How are you going to bring them in? Well, I think I, I, I got an amazing tweet from a guy yesterday and um, he said, I bought your book. And I'm about to go to the living room. I'm going to chuck it through the door, shut the door and run away. And I showed it to Michael, my partner. And I, we really laughed. And I was like, this guy needs help. So I sent him, he was following me. So I sent him a direct message. I said, mate, can I give you a bit of advice? He was like, yes. And I said, I really think you should go back to the living room. I think you should go in and sit down with your partner. And I think you should like read a bit of the book together and learn about it together. Because I said, she'll appreciate it so much and it will really help both of you. Anyway, he sent me a little message the next day saying, I did it and you were absolutely right. And we had a lovely chat and it was really nice, thanks. Oh, that makes me want to cry. Yeah, because the funny thing is, you know, he was a blokey bloke who was just going to chuck the book in and run away because he's scared. And actually he wanted to reach out, but he he didn't know how to do it. And I think men sometimes just need a bit of guidance. I did a post the other day and I said, look, you know, maybe your pre-menopausal or your pre-perimenopausal girlfriend, wife, friend, mother, colleague loved bants, you know, where a bit of kind of jovial kind of pushing about and like verbal tennis. 
and like taking the piss out of each other. But I'm telling you, sometimes your perimenopausal friend, mother, colleague, whatever, um, just can't take it. You can't take it because you feel so sensitive and so raw and so vulnerable and so lonely that it feels like an attack and that you will be in some way so um, just done in by this idea of being had the, having the piss taken out of you that it'll either make you angry or very sad and you'll burst into tears. So I was saying like banter is is kind of off the table, I think, when you're talking to somebody that's perimenopausal and joking about it. It's, you know, for a lot of women, it really isn't funny. So understanding and supporting someone and offering help or even better asking what they can do to help or saying like, how can we best get through this? Or saying, shall we work out some strategies like what to do? So if you're feeling rage, why don't you leave the room and, you know, count to 10 and I'll know what you're doing and I'll try and kind of, you know, bring the conversation back or support you. Any kind of understanding, like you just nearly had a cry, like it makes me emotional thinking about it. So my partner, Michael, he's a hairstylist. He's gone out of his way to learn about perimenopause and menopause, what it does to your hair, so he can support women that he talks to. He does these hair clinics and he, I hear him in the room next door, whatever, doing these hair clinics all the time. And it makes me cry because there he is, He's done his bit and he's really making the effort to help support women through this journey. And they love him for it because it means so much to us to have you by our side. Exactly. And as we discussed about the governor of um, Drake Hall, Carl, who I know really well and have done oh. for years, you know, it, it makes you sort of realise maybe how little sometimes um, women on the whole get supported so that when a man is really kind like that and wants to lean in and learn we're so taken aback that it makes us sort of want to cry and yeah. and you know and I'm just thinking now about the different governmental strategies for this that and the other but um and I know there's um a government women's health strategy wasn't there that was published in um August of this year and a UK menopause task force was set up in February of this year which is all very encouraging but then when I think about the women's prisons and thinking about the amount of men who work in them, the amount of male governors. Um, yes, we have a woman who is now in charge of the female prison estate as a whole. That's all great. But, you know, I think the lack of understanding of women's health issues in prisons is, is significant. And what I always have in the back of my mind is, you know, when self-harm, suicide or just violence erupts, we need to know these things and the staff need to know these things because a lot of the time these things can be avoided. And, and Carolyn talks a lot about some of the solutions that could be put in place that actually are not going to cost an They're arm and a leg, be. but will make They're a dramatic difference. Do you know, are, are, like women prisoners can get access to HRT? Um, I wouldn't like to say for sure that I know. I imagine that they can't. Because if women on the outside are struggling so much, I mean, I've never directly asked, you know, women prisoners about this. That would be quite interesting to find out, because if they can't, that's horrific. I mean, if they're going through this without any kind of medical support, and when we're thinking, so 25% of women go sail through it, 50% of women have the type of symptoms that I had that I found pretty debilitating. But 25% of women are, like you said, talking about or thinking about suicide, self-harm, totally desperate feeling like that and being incarcerated would be really 
unbearable. And then imagine you're sharing a cell with someone. You're trying to open a window. Well, good luck to you. You're not going to be able to open a window in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it sort of doesn't bear thinking about. You know, there's a thing about women's prisons that um, they feel different to men's. I, I've done I've done um, chairs for Narcotics Anonymous in both men's men and women's prisons, and there's a completely different energy in a women's prison. It's quite it's a lot more edgy. I mean, Holloway was very different because it was a remand prison, so there was there was a lot of fear. And anxiety there about like what's going to happen to me where am I going what's what's you know what's going on and quite a lot of people on drugs to suppress you know to calm them down which made them just completely like blank you know switched off and that was um it it felt desperate you know a, a woman's prison is quite a desperate place and this is why I think add the menopause into that. And also when you've lost, if you've lost your children, you know, if, you, if you're away from your family and how hard that must be, it's, yeah, like, you're right, it's too much to think about, right? Yeah, exactly. So what is next for you? So you've sort of been involved in these campaigns and you've had your documentary and the book and where, where does it go from here? I mean, I feel like we're, we're doing well but I still feel like there's so much more to do. And what's always interesting, whenever I do some kind of Q&A, and I've been talking about it nonstop for two years, there are still enormous gaps in people's knowledge. And there is still a weird lack of correct knowledge in various places. So the places that you think you could go and get correct knowledge, there isn't, like on the leaflet, (laughs) there isn't the correct uh, information. So... I have various kind of trusted people that I follow on Instagram. So in the back of my book, I've got two pages of social media people that I follow that I believe, you know, some are just people with their own personal experiences, but I love the way that they write and I love the way that they can empathise with people. And they've got um, lots of interesting followers who've got lots of information, Facebook groups, you know, all of these kind of places where you can find your tribe. And look, there is also a lot of misinformation from people who aren't doctors. So be aware of that, like, um, normal people, we're not doctors, we can't read science, we don't, know, we don't know exactly what's going on, so we mustn't kind of prescribe treatments for people. But we can talk about our experiences and we can talk about um, things that we've learned from that. But so I would sort of try and find safe places, um, you know, create safe places for people to learn from or to get that message out there of people that they can follow. And most importantly, keep going over the basics because people still don't know about the basics and it still is a very frightening and lonely place. I mean, the next thing, I guess, is to make sure that every... And I mean, this is this could happen in prisons, that every prison has, um, you know, once a month or actually there are so many women in a women's prison, you'd probably need to do it a bit more often, but... A, a women's healthcare specialist come in to answer women's questions or problems. Because even if you're just heard for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, it makes the world of difference. And if you know that the symptoms that you're having, I mean, some, some symptoms of perimenopause are so weird, like tinnitus, hello, like, I didn't know about that, I got that. Um, uh, aching joints, I didn't know about that either. Heart palpitations, didn't know about that. Didn't know about dry mouth. Dry mouth? Like dry vagina I knew about, but dry mouth? Like dry everything. Dry eyes. I've got oh. drops that I have to put in my eyes. 
But listen, all of it, I know that I chew gum for my dry mouth. I put drops in my eyes. Um, my HRT sorted out my dry vag, excuse my language. You know, moisturizer helps me with my dry skin. Um, my tinnitus, I've just got used to. Um, my aching joints, HRT sorted out. You know, there are ways through it because I say all of these things and people are like, oh my God. But I want to be also the flag flyer and Caroline Harris's as well of like, this is what life can look like. You can still be totally badass, you know, post-menopause and absolutely like smash it at life. It's not over. Yeah, it's the title of your new book, Post-menopausal Badass. How about that? Yeah, badass. <laughs> and you know what I love is like, is like, we, you know, we, we, it is important. Oh, sorry, what I was going to say was the word, the change, you know, that our grannies talked about. I think actually that is quite a good, it is quite a good word for it. I prefer it to menopause. This, this, this transition from baby bearing age and you have a transition where you struggle a bit, but you don't have to struggle for too long. And, and I want people like me and you and Carolyn and all these amazing menopause warriors to be out there to support you in that difficult bit. And then you change into the next period of your life. And it's very liberating. You know, you're not thinking, oh, I might have another baby. You are just thinking, what about me? Who am I? Like, let's, let's find out what I like. I'm thinking of starting tennis lessons. Who is this person? Like, I don't know who I am, but I want to play tennis. The future can be bright. Well, that's a very, very nice place to sort of end on a positive note, I think, that we can see the menopause as, as a sort of a time to be celebrated um, as, long as, as long as we get the right treatment. And, and again, it's sort of, you know, thinking about those people in custody who, who will struggle. But, um, but I know who my next person is that I can go and talk to, um, the lady who's in charge of the women's prisons, who I know is very active in this space anyway, and has already spoken to Caroline Harris about it. So, um, but listen, thank you so much for your expertise, your knowledge, your enthusiasm and passion for the subject. Um, I so appreciate it. It's a real pleasure. After speaking with Davina, I wanted to hear from others advocating for greater awareness of the menopause, and so I spoke to Carolyn Harris. Carolyn is the MP for Swansea East and has played a pivotal role in shaping national conversation on the menopause. My name is Carolyn Harris. I'm a Welsh Member of Parliament and I'm passionate about the menopause and what we can do to make life better for women who are experiencing the menopause. You've done so many different things in mm. your career. What has led you to sort of really champion this cause I mean it's obviously incredibly important but what what spurred spurred it for you I think it's because I was on antidepressants since 2010 till 2018 completely in denial that I was menopausal and really believing that because of things that happened previously and not giving myself time to grieve I lost my son in a road accident when he was eight and I never give myself time to grieve I in order to try to survive that I just pushed and pushed and pushed and worked and worked and worked and then after a gynecological operation in 2010 just spiraled into a really deep depression and assumed that I had mental health issues um eight years later having really not lived a normal life I mean I became an MP and I, I achieved some things but not had a normal life. I didn't want to go for dinner. I didn't want to go on holidays. I wanted to work, go home, sleep, work, go home and sleep. I, I didn't have energy for anything else. And then eventually, after talking to some really strong, great women who were um, campaigning on 
different aspects of how we can make the menopause experience better, it was a little, little, little bit like putting a light on. It suddenly dawned on me, God, I'm menopausal. I haven't got mental health issues. I have I grieve. I'm still grieving and probably will always grieve. So a little, bar, a little bit of me will always be sad, but I didn't have mental health issues. I genuinely was menopausal. And then I spoke to Davina McCall and did some work with her. And you know, we were doing really good work f- for women trying to get, better treatment for women. And she just happened to say in conversation one day, how's your HRT work? And I said, mm, I'm not an HRT, I'm too old. She said, oh, no, you're not. So I got in touch with a, a private doctor and I've ended up on HRT now for over a year and I am a new woman. I've been on holidays. I'm looking for my next holiday. You know, <laughs> you're now a social butterfly. Well, <laughs> no, but but I am not. I'm not just now working to live. I'm now living to work. You know, literally, I doing things that I hadn't done for a long time. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, you know, there's such a misunderstanding, mm-hmm. isn't there, of, or not even any understanding at all. There's just sort of very little education yeah. around this. And it sort of begs the question of when we should be educated about the menopause and how, because, you know, school age seems too young, maybe, because you sort of think, gosh, it's so far away, it'll never happen to me. Um, but of course, actually... Maybe it should happen yeah. early on then, but it's not happening there. And so therefore we just sort of cruise through life. We sort of head towards our 40s and 50s. And of course these things happen and we we have no understanding. And it's really. like a free train then when it hits you. I mean, I'd like to see something in schools. I mean, we talk about periods now, which we didn't do before. And we talk about budgeting and we talk about responsible, being responsible and having healthy relationships. And we talk about things like you know how to um protect yourself from all these different things but we never have a conversation about what is an inevitability that 51 percent of the population will end up being menopausal and a lot of women will sell will say to you and have said to me oh i sail through mine and i actually thought i sailed through mine it's only when you discover all the symptoms and you start talking to other women and realizing i didn't really sail through this did i you know i've spoken to women the next generation up to me and they say things like, oh, you're doing brilliant work on the menopause, but I sail through mine. And then I say to them, oh, you were lucky. Did, did you ever end up on antidepressants? Oh, yeah, but that was nothing to do with the menopause. And then, you know, did you have sleepless nights? Oh, terrible, I had to have tablets. <laughs> but I sailed through the menopause. Yeah. All of a sudden you realise that all these symptoms, these women have been suffering forever and ever and ever. They were the menopause. I mean, how many women did we put into asylums back in the day thinking they were hysterical? How many of them were menopausal? You know, one thing that really worries me is how many women, how many women are actually committing crimes or how many women are actually in prison and the menopause has been a contributory factor. Well, exactly. And because I was sort of thinking, our listeners are probably thinking, why is Edwina interviewing someone about the menopause? What's this got to do with justice? But exactly as you say, it's about the effect it has on people's behaviours, mm. their mental health. Mm. And then A, that leads them to behave in a certain way that might end up as a criminal act. But then what mm. about when they're in prison? Mm. What care are they getting there? Minimum. I mean, I think the prison is doing the best it can with the limited resources they've got. But it's definitely huge opportunities here for the prison to do more um, and they need more resource to do that and nothing is big nothing's massive you haven't got to change structures and buildings and put no you haven't got to put any special facilities in it is so simple just to make sure someone's got the right 
kind of clothes from the right fabric and plenty of them. Sanitary wear. It's really important that women have access to an abundance of sanitary towels. And then further down the line, stuff for bladder control because you will end up with bladder weakness at a later date. It's it's about having nice fitting underwear because it's really important to feel comfortable. You know, it's about giving somebody dignity so they can have normality. Well, exactly. And if we think about some of the things that sort of might happen and whether it's, you know, and we are going to have to speak graphically because it's, you know, um, if a woman is bleeding yeah, and it's a very heavy flow, you know, when you're at home, you're able to shower and get rid of the yeah. night sweats, but then you're able to sort of take your sheets and wash them and at yeah. least be able to be in control of something sort of rather horrific that's happening to you. And if you imagine that happening to someone in a prison, mm. you know, since COVID, the ability for people to shower whenever they want mm. has sort of disappeared, you know, that's restricted. And um, being able to sort of wash your bedclothes, that is not something you can no. do in prison. And um, being able to get clean sheets back, you know, often the mattress is plastic, yeah. which I imagine for the night sweats oh, isn't particularly it's horrendous. Absolutely nice. horrendous. Back in 2010, when I first went on antidepressants, like I said, I had a gynecological operation. I bled continuously for six months, and it wasn't just bleeding; it was literally. I just can't. I can't even think of a word to explain it. If I was sitting down, I was fine, but once I stood up, there would just be a gush. I was going through roughly 20, 30 sanitary towels a day. I would have to change my clothes at least twice a day. I was passing out on the floor because I was losing so much blood that yeah, my my say. iron went. Yeah. When I eventually got into hospital, I had a haemoglobin of four. Before they could even look at me, they had to give me four pints of blood and iron intravenously before they could even do any investigation. I could shower and take clothes to work or be in the house. So, you know, I could sit under a fan. I could do all these things because I had my freedom to do that. If you haven't got the basics of being able to wash your clothes, have a shower, make sure you've got the right sanitary towels, make sure you've got clean knickers to put on. They're only basics, Edwina. And we are, you know, if we are denying them to any woman, then we are paying a huge disservice to her by not giving her the normality. Absolutely. And and not to mention the effect that it has on your mental health. Yeah. When I was doing the research for this podcast, there's actually quite a lot of articles um, from journals in America predominantly, because actually I think we're sort of a little bit behind in this country, maybe sort of looking at these issues. Mm. Um, but the fact that, you know, many women would say that um, the suicidal feelings really increased, mm. Mm. Um, the sort of anxiety, depression, bipolar, whatever anyone might have previous to... Mm the menopause, yeah. and then going through it just sends people off the Richter scale. Yeah. And then, of course, of course, what happens in prison? Well, you'll probably be put in the segregation unit. Mm. Or the and I've been unit. to the seg units in, in women's prisons. I've seen how the women there behave. And if you are depressed with the noise going on, that's going to make you feel a thousand times worse. Suicide in menopausal women increases by 16%. Addiction increases. So, And this is the one thing which drew my attention to the crime and the menopause thing. I do a lot of work on problem gambling and there's an increase in the number of women who are turning to gambling to an addiction level. And that's primarily because it's on your phone and you can go on at any time. So you've got a sleepless night or you're feeling really poor or you're feeling really, I don't know what's wrong with me and the doctor's not helping me because he doesn't know what's wrong with me or I haven't even been to the doctor. And all of a sudden you'll turn on your phone and you'll go onto these online 
bingo casino things. And they're telling you this is a place to come and, and meet new people and meet, make new friends. Some women turn to drugs. Some women turn to alcohol. It's almost like a self-medication. It takes your mind off how you feel in that moment before you know it, you're hooked. And I've had these conversations with women, all of whom were waiting to be sentenced for committing crimes, theft, to fund their gambling habit. And we were having these chats just generally, and I would say, so when when did you become addicted? When did this happen? And they were all saying, oh, I must be in about 50, or just, just as I sort of started going into my menopause. And all of a sudden, I thought, there's a link here. Women are turning to an addiction to take their mind off how they're feeling. It becomes an obsession and an addiction. They are then committing crime to fund that addiction, and they end up serving time in prison or you will make a bad decision the forgetfulness the brain fog how easy it is to walk out of a shop without paying for an item how easy it is to sign any piece of paper in front of you because you haven't slept all night and somebody's asked you to sign it and there are people who are capable of gaining by your misfortune. This is what I'm always banging on about in my work. We have to be more intelligent mm. about making the links as to why people are behaving in the way that they are, because then we can work backwards and say, what services can we provide yeah. in order to try and prevent some of these things from happening? Don't we need to treat people rather than condemn them? I mean, nobody's saying that somebody shouldn't go to prison if they've stabbed someone. Of course they should. But when they're in prison, are we going to continue to punish them by not giving them access to the support and the resource which will stop them committing another crime. You know, that's what I thought prison was all about, rehabilitation. You know, the punishment is you lose your freedom. Um, and, you know, I, I'm slightly addicted to watching documentaries about women's prisons. And every time I look at one, I see a woman of a, of a certain age and her characteristics, her mood swings. It's all indicative of how I was feeling when I thought I was having a nervous breakdown with mental health issues. But I could go to a doctor and get support. You know, I could articulate how I was feeling. I could read on the internet. I could access this yeah, information. You weren't being looked after by male officers. No. And, you know, so and it's also prison officers. I mean, they will be feeling it as well. Yeah. But it's, you know, air conditioning. It's simple, really simple things. Fresh water, air conditioning, fans, sanitary wear, clean clothes, access to showers, clean bedding. It's dignified stuff. What about the data? Because, of course, you know, everything that you just mentioned there, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. But then, of course, someone needs to have their finger on the pulse in that particular prison, don't mm. they? How many yeah. women do we have over a certain age who might be sort of... And, of course, you know, some women go through a very early menopause. Yeah, I, mean, they do. I think Dr. Louise Newsom yeah. once said to me, well, my, the youngest person I've treated is 14. Yeah. So, of course, there's always anomalies. But generally speaking, there's an age bracket, yeah. isn't there, that should be looked at. So about a month ago in Women and Equalities Questions, because my aim now is to ask questions in every social policy area about menopause, to get that hammer on the fact that this affects all policy areas. So I asked the question, and we, we'd got in touch with um, women in prison and asked them, could they give us just a rough idea, but a, a ballpark figure of how many women were in prison were potentially perimenopausal or menopausal? And they came back with a figure of over 40, where, where you were likely to be well on your way to being menopausal. They were 38%. And 30 to 40, 39, where you could start to be feeling the perimenopausal effects, 
was something like 37%. So we worked it out that over 70% of the female population of the prison estate is either potentially perimenopausal, menopausal, or will be in prison during the time of the sentence when they become one or the other. Right. And the behaviours of menopausal women, I mean, classic was me. I mean, I'm a loud person, I'm a noisy person, I'm quite gregarious, but I am not confrontational. And I never, ever forget my husband was, this was about five years ago, my husband was beside himself. I'm sitting in the kitchen, just having a cup of tea, normal behaviour. There were people living next door who threw the rubbish bag over my garden. Normally, I would have said to David, can you ask them not to? Edwina, I went up in the air like somebody had let off a firework. I was in the street screaming like a cockle woman. And that's not me. But such was my my frustration and my temper at that time. And when we come back in, David said to me, I've known you for 30 years. I have never, ever seen you like that. But that was the menopause mood swing. That could have escalated really easy into a situation where they might have hit me, I might have hit them back, you know. And I've never, ever, ever been in a confrontational situation like that in my life. Always a bit of a coward, if anything. But it just it hit home to me that, who you've got to really calm down, your girl. And I'm looking back now, that must have been a just a really bad episode. And you were able to get on the hormone replacement therapy, right? And it calmed things down quite oh, I mean, quickly. I'm completely different. I mean, I think I've only been on it a year. I had to go private for it. That's another issue: is getting prescriptions for it is really difficult on the NHS. But um, I'm completely changed. I mean, my my attitude. When I say I've got more confidence, this terrifies people because... But (laughs) in reality, I've never been confident. I've been loud. I've always been a little bit of a doormat. But since I've... Well, certainly during 2010 to 2015, I could have been a doormat. But since I've started taking HRT, I've got confidence from within. I know that I'm right. I'm not afraid now to say I think something is wrong. Whereas before, I would say... Um, I'd agree even if I knew they were wrong or I'd agree if in a, no, if I was right and they were wrong. Now I'll say, well, no, hang on, that's not right. So I have found an inner strength, if you like. So I think the menopause can be empowering, provided you, you channel it and you're in control of it. It's when you're not in control of it, it is totally debilitating. If you are laying on a bed and unable to think and function properly because you've got the sweats, you haven't slept, you can't remember things like your kids' names and really silly things. If you have made a decision because you haven't really been thinking straight, which has led to something problematic, you're not in control. Once you have identified what the problem is and you've taken control of the situation, I'm a much stronger person now Mm. because of it. And actually what you need is HRT as opposed to antidepressants, which I imagine many women are put on the wrong medication. It's the first thing that doctors will say to you, Mm. antidepressants. Then you'll go back and you'll say, well, I'm feeling slightly less depressed, but I'm not sleeping. They'll give you sleeping tablets. And then you'll go back and say, well, I'm sleeping because of the tablets. I'm less depressed, but I've got terrible aches in my hands and my joints, fibromyalgia. And then you'll go back and say, oh, I can't remember my kids' names early onset dementia. So on average, women are having between seven and 10 doctor's appointments. This is in the outside world. Seven and 10 doctor's appointments for individual conditions and being prescribed medication for individual conditions. When if somebody was joining the dots, they'd say, oh, menopause. 
and if appropriate, prescribe HRT. Yeah. So if you struggled on the outside uh, and in the sort of position that you are, you know, you're an MP, you know, what are the chances that women in prison are going to ever be able well, to get their na, na, medication? Um, working class women in general are really on the rough end of this. Because, I mean, I, I'm an MP now, but I was a dinner lady and a barmaid. Yeah. Now, when I was a dinner lady and a barmaid, I couldn't have afforded to go private for this. And in fact, I did lose women earlier this year. And I actually said, I'm menopausal, I'm on HRT. And my friends, my age group, who was in school with and been friends with forever, they all said, this posh you are having a menopause. Because they'd never thought they were menopausal. And now I'm thinking about what they've had over the years. And they've all had the symptoms. But none of us ever thought, put them all together and this makes a menopause. So working class women who are on low incomes are dependent on doctors in their GP surgeries to be able to identify it and to prescribe for it. And the same thing with women in prison. Women in prison are not going to be having conversations with the GP about how they're feeling. Now, I know women who've gone to the doctors, you know, in in Swansea and have said to the GP, I think I'm perimenopausal. And the doctor said, why do you think you're perimenopausal? And she told her the symptoms and she said, oh, no, we haven't got time to talk about that now. Why have you come to see me? And she said, I've come to see you because I think I'm perimenopausal. And she said, um, oh, no, 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 you, no, you're not. You've just got a stressful job. She said, why do you think that? And she said, my friend is Carolyn Harris. And the doctor immediately said, hang on now. There's another doctor who knows a bit more about this than, than me. I'll get her to phone you. She phoned her. She said, why do you think you're perimenopausal? Same conversation. I know Carolyn Harris. Next thing, the doctor said, prescription be on the desk at four o'clock. It shouldn't take somebody giving a doctor my name for them to get HRT. Women in prison don't know who I am. Women in prison don't know the menopausal. Women in prison are not going to be having those conversations. No, and often when they do need help and medication and to see a doctor, they quite often don't even manage to get that far either. And I mean, the thing is, is vaginal dryness, you know, everybody says, oh, you can't say that. Well, you've got to say it because it causes urinary infections. So women who are having water infection after water infection, they could well have vaginal dryness, which is a classic sign of the menopause. But they're not going to be telling people I've got vaginal dryness in, in, in prison. No, and especially if there isn't a sort of general recognition about the menopause across the board, no. which there doesn't seem to be. No. And there's been um, an HRT shortage, has there <gasps> not, since yeah. Brexit? Um, I'm not sure. Do you know Well, it's not Brexit. About- it's, right, you can blame me and Davina for that one. because right. we, but, but we've been raising awareness of HRT for... Davina McCall. Yeah, for three years. It's only now that the shortage of has kicked in because more and more women are asking for prescriptions. The manufacturer hasn't okay, kept that so pace. Okay, so it's a supply demand yeah, yeah. thing. I mean, it is getting better, but there's loads of things that could be done to change that. Like, look, there, there is HRT there, but it's not HRT which is available all over the country. That's another issue. There's a postcode lottery and HRT. The body identical stuff, the good stuff, is available in the nice areas. The poorer era areas have got the old style HRT, which is not as effective and not as good for you. So, you know, that's just a fact of life. So we've got to change. We've got to change the whole environment for every woman, whether she's the queen in the castle or whether she's, you know, she's scrubbing floors in schools. It makes no difference. She deserves normality. She deserves respect. And we, I feel as a policymaker that this is my job to do my bit to make sure every woman gets that opportunity to have equality of access. So how are you planning to do that? Um, I have read that you have, you're pioneering the menopausal strategy. 
Is that right? Well, um, we, I had a private member's bill last year. I mean, I discovered, I mean, I had a private member's bill and I went to do something on the menopause and I thought about what could I do, which would only take a year and was going to be as few government departments involved as possible. And we decided that we were asking the government if they would form some kind of committee or body or, or group to look at how the menopause affects every area of social policy, like I talked about, the Home Office, domestic violence, justice, prison, DWP, benefit dependency, if you give up work, and so on and so forth. And and that I realisation, as I live in Wales, I don't pay for prescriptions. And women in England do pay for prescriptions. So women in England were having to pay for the HRT. Women in Scotland don't pay. Women in Wales don't pay. Women in Northern Ireland don't pay. So originally I asked the government to give me this group, this task force, um, which they readily agreed to, and I now chair it, um, and to make HRT free for women in England. They didn't want to do that because they were afraid that would open the door for other conditions to say, I want free prescriptions, although it's got to be said that men can get can get Viagra free. Of course. But women <laughs> can't get HRT. So I, I made the concession on that. And then they, they agreed that they would introduce a one-off fee for HRT. So once a year, women can go and get a prescription, which they pay £18, whatever for, and the rest of the year... They don't pay again, no matter how many times they fulfil that prescription. They led me to believe it would happen very soon. So I was thinking January and I spent three months telling women it'll be in in January, be in in January. In April, I finally discovered that they have no intention of, of actually introducing it until April next year. They say it needs a specific computer programme. I'm not buying that. So I've spent the last few months badgering them. And now we've got a new health secretary he knows I'm already ready to badger him because it's ridiculous. Women who have not got much money will make a decision as to whether they pay for the HRT or put shoes on their kids' feet or put food on their table. They will never put themselves first. They'll always put someone else first. So women are still going without their HRT. And I'm going to change that. So that's one thing. But it's everything. I mean, I we, we have ministers from all government departments or some government departments currently sit in on this task force, but I, I'm now saying we need more. I want somebody from Justice to start attending, um, and I hope that will happen. We, we've got GPs, um, healthcare professionals, we've got pharmacists, we've got uh, professors, we've got civil servants. We've got all these people come in, and then we say, this is what we want. We want you to go off and find out about this, and we want you to go off and find out about that. And and then they meant to go off. And, and, and one, one thing I'm really keen on is that we don't just talk there's actions from every meeting yeah. and something happens from it, even if it's only something I do. But they know that whatever I've said, I'm not going to shut up until it happens. So it's easier to give <laughs> I'm in sure to you're me. you're not. It is easier. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's the cross-departmental conversations that need to take place, like like in with so many issues. Yeah. You need different people around the table to be like, how is this affecting my department? How yeah. is it affecting housing, social care, prisons, police, probation? Mm. You know, once you start talking about it, then the conversation will take over on it all on its own. Because once I've said those few sentences about what the menopause is, people suddenly realise, oh, my God, yeah, that could really be an issue. How often do you get um, any eye rolling? Um, not to say that all men would eye roll, but I can imagine that, you know, I can just sort of feel it and see it now. And you're talking about something, whether it's, you know, women's behaviour on the street and they're about to be arrested or sort of in a... Uh, 
you know, do you get the sort of people saying, oh, God, here we go, menopause? Because it's an issue that affects women. So I think sometimes men can shut down because it's like, look, I don't understand it. It's just an excuse for women to be badly behaved. You you know, do you I think in the beginning, when I first started talking about it, there was probably an element of that. I mean, it was like my husband would say, oh, God, you're talking about menopause again. I mean, since then... He's, he, well, interestingly enough, a friend of his has got testicular cancer. The treatment he's having causes the flushes. So having a witness, his friend having a flush, no, he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> this know, is serious. Yeah, I know. This is, it's like having a baby in it. You know, if men had babies, we'd have, we'd, the population would have died out by now. But, <laughs> but in Westminster, interestingly enough, from the first time I've talked about this, and I suppose I do, I have got a bit of a reputation as being someone who does work cross-party and talks about issues which matter to normal people because nobody's more normal than me, honestly. I mean, dinner lady and barmaid, you know, I whatever I talk about, I've experienced. When I talk about people not being able to feed their kids this summer and, and me ending up making sandwiches to feed kids, I couldn't afford to feed my kids, you know, in the summer. So I know what I'm talking about. So people respect that and they think, oh, well, if she's talking about this, it might be worth listening to. One of my biggest... Um, well, friends, he's a friend, isn't he? i got to say it. Is Ian Duncan Smith? You know, I the work I've done with Ian, we got children's funerals introduced because I couldn't afford Martin's funeral. So when I became an MP, I campaigned. Now, nobody in the United Kingdom pays for a child's funeral anywhere. We did a lot of work on fixed odds betting terminals. We got the, the, the stake reduced to £2 instead of £100 every 20 seconds. We do a lot of work on modern slavery with Ian. Um... A fortnight ago, I got Ian Duncan Smith in a menno vest, which is a vest, which is lycra, which zips up to the neck. Yeah, and I, did inside, I see this on social media somewhere? But he did women's hour. He did women's hour about the menopause. And they said, why are you doing this, Sir Ian? And he said, oh, two reasons, Carolyn Harris and Carolyn Harris. <laughs> so, I, you know, if I say, Ian, will you help? He knows that I'm not asking him to get involved in something which is silly, will make him look silly, or is of no, no value. Because I only, I'm only interested in using my platform to make life better for other people, whether it's menopausal women or whether it's mothers who can't feed their kids. I just want to use my platform for good. I didn't come into politics at 55 to waste it. This is my yeah. golden opportunity to make a difference. Coming back to the point about sort of Ian Duncan Smith and sort of men in general, it's like sort of violence against women and girls, isn't yeah. it? And the menopause, these aren't just issues that affect women, but I think sometimes they're seen like that. Yeah. Maybe that's me just being too negative and I'm usually Not- very optimistic, but we do need the men to lean in, to understand, to empathise, sympathise, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I'm reluctant to say I'm not a feminist because I'm a woman and I want, want women to be treated equally, but I've never been anyone who've come through life burning bras or anything like that. I've always been quite happy being a housewife and a mother. It doesn't bother me that i got to do the dishes. I enjoy all that. I mean, I do a lot of thinking when I'm doing things like that. But when I start talking about something, nobody's going to say, oh, she only rants on about women's issues, because I don't. I'll talk about issues which matter to everybody. And I think a lot of people are now realising that menopause has played a role in their life, in the past, in the present, in the future, and they're ready to embrace that. My husband um, went shopping for me, went to pick up some bits and pieces a couple of weeks ago, and he phoned me up, and in between the swear words, I managed to get the story out of him, where he said he'd gone into the supermarket and a woman had said to him, "Um, are you Calvin Harris's husband? And he said, yes. And she told him all the symptoms of her menopause. (laughs) And he phoned me up and he said, I don't want to know. I don't oh, want no, to know. I was just trying to do my shopping. Yes. Uh, and then he went into the pub on the day that I was actually on Loose Women and 
I'm on loose women. He said, and all the men were transfixed. And when I finished, they spent 45 minutes talking about the menopause. Now, Amazing. we can laugh Amazing. at it, but we cut in through. Mm. If men in a spit and sawdust place are spending 45 minutes talking about the menopause, men are realising that it might be their wife, their girlfriends, their sisters, their mothers, whoever was experiencing it, but they will feel the full force of it at some point or other. And as a society, we have to do everything we can to make sure everyone gets respect. And that's what this is all about, giving women respect. Exactly. So just bringing it back to um, the prisons for a moment, um, we have an amazing lady who is now in charge of the female prisons in England, because we don't have a female prison in Wales, which is why I don't mention Wales, um, called Pia Sinner. Mm. Um, And I know you're in touch with her on this sort of very issue what do you think are the main things that need to happen when it comes to the prison system to start trying to move things forward to see, you know, you never know who might be listening to this podcast. What is it we need to do? Well, one of the things that um, uh, Pyra and I have agreed is that I'm going to talk to um, prison governors from right across the women's estates just so I can get get a gauge from them as to what they are doing and suggest things that they could be doing. I'd like the government to give the prison service enough money to actually be able to make these simple adjustments. And it's really around clothes, ventilation, water and sanitary products. And if possible, maybe a, men, a women's health nurse to have those conversations with the women that they could say, yes, I think I may be menopausal or... I'm 50, do you think, you know? And there will be certain indications which you could look at a woman and you could think, yeah, she's menopausal. It will be her age. It might be her behaviour. We could save a lot of heartache in in women's prisons if we would look at this as a possible cause of some people's behaviour and some people's um, way of life. Absolutely. Reducing violence, reducing self-harm, reducing suicide you know, um, increasing actually just the dignity and humanity of women in prison. It's not expensive. So that's my plan. I just think that, you know, when you have a platform, you've got to use it for good. And that's what we're trying to do with this. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming along to talk to me today on the podcast. And I wish you every success. Thank you. Thank you, Edwina. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also, rate, review, and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.